praying. Several of you requested it this morning um, with a hurricane coming. And so let's just stop and pray for the people that are affected by that. Father, we do lift up the people in the Caribbean and in Florida who are right in the path of this very destructive hurricane. Lord, um, we just pray for their safety. We pray, Lord, that you would be pleased to show yourself to them in new and fresh ways. Maybe this would be an opportunity for the Christians in the area to, to reflect your glory, to show the people around them who you are. But in the meantime, just watch over all those people. I know many of those third world countries, this is such a battering for them. So take care of them. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, before we get into the sermon today, we have a church discipline matter. Yeah, I can tell you serious about that. The, the sin is so egregious that I bypassed the elders. Uh, I just went straight to church discipline. You see, when I got up this morning, my Jeep has, is plastered with Toyota posters inside and out. So then I walked into my office, and it's even worse. There are all kinds of things hanging all over my office related to Toyotas. Now, I thought at first it, maybe it was a Jeep club, but then I thought, well, that's stupid because they're Jeep owners. So then I thought, it must be those who feel envious of the Jeep club. And I know that many of you can't afford a Toyota, I mean a Jeep. You could afford a Toyota, but not a Jeep. And so I began reading them, and I found some forensic evidence. But first of all, you have things like this. Jeep owners be like, I have a winch. Toyota owners be like, I have a Toyota. Now, what they don't realize is that this is actually a compliment to Jeep owners. Do you know why we tell Toyota owners that we own a winch? Because they need it. So then I'm reading the next one. And it's a guy on a little tiny baby toy Jeep. You wouldn't understand it's a Jeep thing. And I thought, huh, but somebody left a note. We're sorry, but we're not sorry. Love the high school youth group. (laughs) Now, if you're in the youth group today, it doesn't really matter if you were there last night at all. You're guilty by association. So then I thought I should bring you up here for church discipline. Uh, I saw already the Confer girls out there. They would crucify me if I did that. I see you up there. And I see some of the others sitting out there too. But then I remembered Jesus' words and, you know, I want to be like Jesus. Right? And I actually reminded our congregation of this at the congregation meeting last week. When he took a child and he said, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And I reminded our members that this church, it's not your church. The truth is it never was. Who does this church belong to? There's only one answer. If you can't figure it out, it starts with a J. Jesus. Right? This church belongs to Jesus. And when he said this kingdom of God belongs to such as these little ones, 
That's a good lesson for us. You see, our responsibility, those of us that are maturing, i.e. getting old, our responsibility is to these young people. How is it that I have a house right now full of grandkids. They're all sitting up there. They're all full of grandkids. They can draw all kinds of crazy pictures and be proud of it, but I ask you to do it as adults and you, you feel self-conscious. Like, is anybody going to see it? What happened? What happened between being a little child and being mature? What happened? I think Jesus was on to something when he said, unless you're like a little child, you have to have that kind of faith, that kind of freedom, that kind of spontaneity. The truth is, uh, to the high school youth group, bring it. Thank you for plastering my office. We're in a series. In fact, we're in the very last Sunday of the series, Life Outside the Cage. We've been talking all year. We started prior to Easter, starting in January, talking about holiness. Remember what we said about holiness? Holiness is an invitation to enter into a life that you were created for. It's not a means of shame. It's not a means of condemnation or judgment. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to be like God, to be what you were created to be. But that immediately raises the question of how do we get there? There's a lot of guilt-driven approaches. I've heard many of them. I get asked all the time about my preaching because I am very positive up here. And the reason is very simple. The Bible is a comedy, not a tragedy. The good guy has already won. It's already, he's already over. He's already won. Salvation is secured. Atonement is accomplished. The Spirit has come. And so we've been wrestling with the question all summer, what does it mean to trust the Holy Spirit? You see, the Holy Spirit is the person to guide us through, last week we said the maze, the obstacle course, to become what we are created to be. That's why we're using the metaphor, life outside the cage. When you turn in faith, you step right outside the cage into a world, into a world that you're created for, but you know very little about. And I raised the question of, for those of you that have pets, um, if you were to let your pet go, they wouldn't survive, would they? In fact, just yesterday we had that happen. We have a tortoise. I know some of you are going to have a pet tortoise. We do. He's great. He's really great. He has emotions like everybody else. I can tell when he's hungry. Bang, bang, bang on the glass. He lets us know. Well, we put him out on the deck. I won't say which member of our family. There's only two of my immediate family, me and Nancy. Uh, uh, Nancy and me. Let me get my grammar correct. I won't say which one put him out there, but I can tell you it wasn't me. Next thing we know, there's a little bit of panic because our tortoise is gone. Do you know how to find a tortoise when they're gone? You don't think they move very fast? They actually move quite fast. So we gathered up all the clan. We all went around looking for him, including our dog. Our, new, our dog knew right where he is. We just didn't believe him because you couldn't see him. And finally, my son-in-law said, oh, here he is. He's out in this field buried down into the sand. We found him. We're so glad. 
How long would he survive out there? When you let an animal outside the cage. That's what happens when you turn to Christ. You step out of the cage into a world you're created for, but you know very little about. Think of where we've come. We talked about that. Uh, we first of all looked at the teachings of Jesus, and in the last four weeks, we've been in Romans 8, and we're going to finish in Romans 8 today. That when you step out of the cage, you begin to enjoy freedom. That's what happens. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. You step out into a world of freedom. And by the way, that includes the freedom to sin which you all do quite well, I might add. You're very good at it. But it includes authenticity. We become genuine people. We become real people. As we begin to mature, we don't mind saying to the younger generations, we've been there. That's why I love having coffee with our teenagers. I've been there, done that. I know exactly what you're talking about, what you're feeling. We talked about there's no condemnation, Romans 8. We talked about you're given life. There we use the metaphor of your arm is kind of asleep, and then when you start moving it, the blood circulates, and how uncomfortable it is as you begin to wake up. That's one of the metaphors we use, life outside the cage. It becomes uncomfortable. It's not bliss. It's not. You're stepping into a world that uh, is hard. It's challenging. Jesus said that. We talk about you've been freed from death. We talked about you've entered a true family. So when you stepped outside the cage, you stepped into a true family through adoption, us, the church. You're not alone. And did you know the believers around the world are struggling with very similar things as you? In fact, I'm leaving next Saturday for Mozambique. I was supposed to leave Sunday night uh, after the retreat. And British Air decided to go on strike. They only picked two days in the year. It just happened to be the two days I was flying. So my flight was canceled. All my flights were canceled. So American rerouted me, and I had to leave Saturday. They could only find one flight with one seat to get to Mozambique, Africa. And they put me on it, which means I leave next Saturday. And I'm going to be speaking to a bunch of students and then a pastor's conference with a whole bunch of pastors. You know, they're wrestling with the very similar things as you. Around the world, we are part of a family. We are part of a family. You can go anywhere in the world, run into Christians, and they will take care of you. I hope we're that way. And then from there, we talked about last week, a guide through the maze, the obstacle course, that it's not easy. There's all kinds of obstacles in the way that we have to navigate. Today, an assured victory. This is a conclusion to Romans 8, and you heard it read. Let's jump into Romans 8. Finish our time together. This is life outside the cage. Hopefully by now, those of you that have been here more than uh, one week, get a, get a sense of confidence in the Holy Spirit. He is trustworthy. He takes you by the hand. You're never alone. And walks you through this maze of becoming what God intended all along for you. So what then shall we say in response to these things? What things? What things? Everything he's been talking about. The goodness of God, all the way from the crucifixion of Jesus and the atonement to the coming of the Spirit, to all the things he's been talking about. What shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, if he's truly for us, Who can be against us? Is there anybody? 
Is there anybody that can be against us? That's his opening statement. This is his conclusion on the chapter, the grand chapter of the Holy Spirit. If God is for us, 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 who can be against us? He goes on from there. He who did not spare his own son, this word spare, if you happen to go back and look in Genesis 22, when Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son, God said, because you did not spare In the Greek Old Testament, here's that same word. Because you did not spare your own son, I'm going to make you a blessing to the entire world. The entire world. You see, this idea is captured by blessing. Is there anything more a father could do than to to offer up his son for everybody else? There's not, is there? And that's what he did. Uh, Jesus did it willingly. Don't hear me wrong. Don't get the idea of child abuse. That actually is a big discussion in theology. No, this isn't all. Jesus willingly, he said, I'm going. I'm gone. I'm willing to do it for these people. And God let it happen. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Okay, what are these all things that he's going to give us? Remember from last week where we finished? What was he talking about last week? Creation. Creation. When you step out of the cage, the very first challenge, we read that. Romans 8, 18, I consider our present sufferings are not worth compared with the glory that will be revealed. And so we expect him to talk about glory. And he says the creation waits in eager expectation for us to get our act together. It's not the creation's fault that it's struggling. It's our fault. We're the ones that messed up. And that's his whole argument in this section right here. It's our fault. It's not creation's fault. And I said last week that vote your conscience. Absolutely vote for politicians who agree with your values, but don't place your faith in them. Because he goes on and argues that the only hope for creation is us. As we are redeemed, creation breathes a sigh of relief. That's the word groan. So the creation's going, ah, oh, how long until these humans get their act together? We're the ones that, that, that sinned. They didn't. And then the next word in groan is that we're groaning, going, oh, how long, oh Lord, till you come back? It's tiring. And then the Holy Spirit groans or sighs, the same word on our behalf. Oh Lord, look at him struggling and trying. So he's talking about creation. So right here he says, he will graciously give us all things. Now, just in case you're not quite convinced of that, Let me go back to Romans 4, and here's what he says. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world. There it is. Heir of the world. That was a promise to Abraham, that he would inherit the world. And what did he just say back in verse 17? We are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. What does it mean to be an heir? It means that we receive a legitimate legal inheritance that belongs to us. That's what that word means. And what's that inheritance? Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. This is our home. Enjoy it. How many of you love seeing this out here? Hopefully every hand goes, if not, we've got counseling for you. (laughs) This is our home. 
And so he's going to freely give us all the things that go with creation. And do you have any idea how many good things there are in creation? Two years ago, I was in Maine visiting a friend, and he says, hey, you want to go make maple syrup? Do you want to do what? Now I'm a city boy. I grew up in Palm Beach on the beach. Okay? Do you want to go make maple syrup? What do you mean make? You go to the store and buy maple syrup. And I discovered that's not true. So he takes me out there. He has 100 maple trees. And we drove around and emptied these buckets into the big buckets. And we boiled it, you know. We took 40 gallons and reduced it down to one gallon. And now I make my own maple syrup every year and bring it home. It's wonderful. You know what my first series of thoughts were when that happened? I said, wait, you were drinking tree sap? And he took a glass and filled it up. Here, take a drink. And it was sweet. I had several thoughts. One is, who's the first person that had the idea, let's drink tree sap? My second thought was, who's the first person that tried to do it from an oak tree and go, My third thought was, what else is in creation that we haven't discovered? It's got to be everywhere. So I go four-wheeling up St. John. I take an environmentalist with me, and I see things I never saw before. My brother-in-law and several of you are in geology, that part of the, the world that studies rocks. I thought rocks were just rocks until I went with him. And it's a whole different world to him. This is a good thing. He freely gives us this creation to take care of. That's what he's talking about. But then he goes on. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Now, let me challenge your translation just a little bit. And I'm not alone. I'm in really good company. You see, punctuation was added much later in the Greek New Testament. It wasn't in the original things that we can see as far back as you can go. They didn't have punctuation. And so we added it. And so lately, there's been a whole bunch of scholars that are challenging the punctuation. What if it goes like this? Who then will bring any charge against those whom God justified? Is it God who justifies? Is he the one? Really? The answer is no. Keep going. Who then is the one who condemns? My translation says no one. That's actually not there in Greek. That's answering the question. So who then is the one who condemns? Is it Jesus who died on the cross? Really? It makes more sense like that to continue each of the questions because these are asking the most obvious questions of the universe. Is it really going to be God and Jesus who's going to condemn? Is that it? And bring charges against you? Okay, now let's step back into the ancient world just for a moment so this comes to life. You can understand it. Remember what we said, we're in Rome. We got this, you know, the seven hills, all the senators and the wealthy people lived up high, down in the valleys where the poor people lived, and that's where all the sewage and the dirty water flowed. It wasn't a very nice place. It smelled terrible. Very poor people lived down here. That's probably who the church was. And you see, in the ancient world, they did have a legal system like ours, so they could bring a charge against you, and you could be found guilty of the charge, but even if you weren't found guilty, just the fact that a wealthy people, somebody that was an elite, brought the charge against you, destroyed your credibility. Boy, we have that in our world today, don't we? Somehow we're shifting from innocent to proven guilty to guilty to proven innocent. That's what it was like. You had to be very careful because you did not want anybody 
bringing a, a, a charge against your name. No one. Because that would destroy your credibility. Mark and I talk about that often as pastors. We know that we're vulnerable. We trust the Lord. We desire to be appropriate in everything we do with all of you. Who is going to bring a charge? Typically in the Roman Empire, the higher levels of authority could bring charges on the lower level and defame them. So that's what he's asking. Who's going to do it? Is it God? Is it Jesus? We're talking about the two top guys. Are they going to do it? What's the answer? Is he going to bring a charge against you? No. That's why they say no one. They're giving you the answer in the text. No one. He is sitting at the right hand of God. He goes on and says that. There is no higher authority in all of creation. None. None. And if God and if Jesus are not going to bring charges against you, you see, that's what happened at the cross. It's finished. What does he mean by that? Atonement is secured. Forgiveness is assured. You are victorious. In case you missed it, he goes on. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He lists seven things. And in Jewish thinking, seven symbolize the number of completion. In other words, is there anything at all, anything at all that can, that can separate us from the love of Christ? The answer is no. Nothing at all. Nothing. And all of these things were things that the first century church experienced. This is talking about experiences, and I bet all of you struggle with at least one of these. Listen to this. Trouble. How many of you have had trouble in your life? Okay. Hardship. How many of you have had hardship? Perseverance or persecution. How many of you have been persecuted? Yeah, there's a few of you out there. Okay. Famine. Anybody been through a famine? A lot of people before our day did. Nakedness, danger, sword. These are all the things that they were faced with every day. This church that he's writing to. And we today still experience a lot of this. Will this separate you from the love of Christ? And he answers the question with an Old Testament quote. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Okay, that's a quote from Psalm 44. For your sake, we face death. For whose sake? Jesus's. For your sake, we face death, persecution, sword, famine. We face it all day long. All day long. And that's what he talked about before this. That's the role of suffering. You see, we don't win through political domination. That's not how we win. We don't win by voting in the right president, but hear me correctly, vote your conscience, I do. That's not how we win. We win by going the route of Jesus. Several things happen when we follow in his footsteps in this hardship. Number one, we're speaking a language the world understands. They get it. What they don't understand is how we respond in grace when we're 
reviled, when we're persecuted, when we're mocked, when we're shamed. And many of you have been there. What they don't understand is when we stand up with grace. That's the first thing that happens is that we're speaking the language of the world. They can get that. Number two, your faith is tested and shown to be real. There's no shortcut. That's how you know your faith is real, is when you throw something your way. I've said to you many times, you all know I lost my first wife at 25. I was holding her when her heart stopped. And one of the thoughts that penetrated right away was, the Lord just took away the most important person to me, and I love him. My faith is real. The third thing that happens when you follow in his footsteps is as your faith gets strengthened. Every time you go through the experience, you get stronger and stronger and stronger. And I told you when I was in Cambridge, several of the PhD students asked me, are you as happy as you seem? And you know, the truth is, I, I basically am. I basically, you kind of, what you see appears what you get. I'm not pretending. And they said, we wish you could see the world through your eyes. And I said, really? You'd have to lose your wife at 25. Be left with a one and three-year-old to raise. You'd have to get a call from your dad at 31 and say he's got 30 days to live. You'd have to be fired from several jobs. You'd have to be diagnosed at 57 with bladder cancer. Are you sure you want to see the world through my eyes? That's my world. And you're like, whoa, we don't want to see the world through your eyes. I don't blame you. I don't want you to. But whatever world the Lord takes you through, if you learn to live in grace, we are suffering for his sake. And what is his sake? He cares about this entire creation. And that means that every other human can look at us. They should be able to look at us and see the truth that we love the Lord. And we're going to stand up in faith no matter what happens. That's what that means. Nope. He says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. I love this word. You could write in there the concept of super victors, supermen. That's what we are because of our life in the Spirit, because of the Holy Spirit. We've stepped out of the cage, and we became super victors. We became conquerors. We became superheroes when we stepped out of the cage. This is where he concludes with life in the Spirit. We stepped out of the cage. We've gone through all the metaphors of what's happening. We're no longer alone. We have a Holy Spirit holding our hand, guiding us step by step. And when we trip and fall, he helps us back up. Sometimes you guys have to be shoved in the ditch don't you? And that's what we're here for, to help pull you out of the ditch. That's why I drive a Jeep. No, 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 that's why I'm a pastor. That's why I'm a pastor, to help you. And that's why we have elders, and that's why we have a whole bunch of godly people. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We'll conclude with this. He's going to move from experience, the what, to forces, the who. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers at all, at all, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation which he's giving to us will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is there any fitting way to end the conclusion on life outside the cage? You see, when you step outside the cage, it's scary. We trip, we fall, we're confused, we're disoriented, we're uncomfortable, it's awkward, and we step into a family, and then as we begin to walk, the Holy Spirit's holding our hands, and pretty soon people come alongside, and we begin to make it together. 
together as a church. And what we discover is there's nothing, nothing that can separate us from that incredible love. Nothing. That's how powerful the Holy Spirit is. We would never make it without him. I was getting ready to come out to preach, and Mark walked by me and said, remember, you can trust the Holy Spirit. And I said, I wouldn't be up here if I didn't. That's the truth. You can trust the Holy Spirit. When you trip and fall, don't let shame get you down or guilt. Just say, sorry, God, that was really stupid. I messed up. We call that sin. And get going. Get back up. Let us help you. Life outside the cage is a life of freedom, but it's also a life of learning what it means to be a child of God and to enjoy the life that you were created to live. That's what it means. The victory is assured. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Father, thank you. Just that incredible truth alone is wonderful. Nothing can separate us from your love. We are so grateful for that. We are so grateful that you led us out to a life of freedom, a life of joy, love, patience, all the, all the fruit of the Spirit wrapped up. And we're so grateful that you gave us this creation because we love this creation. We don't like the things, some of the things we've done to it, but boy, do we love it. It is so beautiful. Thank you for that incredible gift. We praise you and we thank you in the name of your son because we believe in him, Jesus. Amen.